0: I
1: of islam radio
2: wa al asma
3: al husna
4: Yusuf on whom be peace mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif the benignant by recalling how God was his friend while his brothers conspired against him according to the lexicon Latif is a kind of gracious being one who is benevolent to his creation as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see him. He is al-latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His Light is manifested through His Prophets as they spread the Light of unity of God all around them. Among all the Prophets of God, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this Light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Continuously prayed for the reformation of his Ummah, as well as his opponents. As only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then, Should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al Latif?
1: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB.
2: Via the internet, 24 hours a day. Bismillahi In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Ever Merciful. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa May peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of our listeners. Welcome to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Abdul Halim, your regular presenter of the breakfast show. Dear listeners, as uh, our regular listeners will be aware, we have a jam-packed show for our listeners. Um, On every show we discuss our pattern is that we discuss the weather, the news, um, the current affairs in the first part of the show. And then we move on to our segments. And our segments are always very interesting And engaging and intriguing as everyone who is a regular listener will be aware. Um, In today's show we will, in our first segment, we will be discussing the current conflict that is happening um, and everyone will be aware of if they have been listening to the news lately, which is the Israel and Hamas conflict. Um, I wouldn't really call it a conflict as such. It is a not even a war. Um, some may call it a genocide now. Um, and the segment will be, Can Peace Be Bought by Gutierrez's Use of UN Article 99? Which he has started because there was a, um, a negative stance on the ceasefire. So as there was no... <clears throat> and it was vetoed by the America... Uh, For a ceasefire, that's why the UN General has um, gone and issued an Article 99 to maybe start peace talks again. That will be the first part of our show and we do have a lot of guests in this segment. um, A lot of qualified guests that we will be talking to who will be sharing their opinions and their expertise regarding this topic. Um, And later on, uh, we have a second segment, which is the colder it gets, the more lonesome it will be for elders. So as we know, we are in um, the colder season of the year. So, and it gets quite hard for the elderly who are left alone in this time. Um, So we will be discussing about that and we do have some guests also we will be discussing in detail how this cold affects these elderly who are left alone who don't have anyone to care for and how they can be looked after in a well and better manner and how as a society we can actually help one another and help the vulnerable that are in our society. So, dear listener, just after a quick break, we will head straight into the news. Um, Don't go anywhere. Do join us. See you very soon after a short break. اشهد <تصفيق>
4: ان
1: listening to The Voice of Islam radio. The purpose of The Voice of Islam
5: is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person.
1: The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs
6: each week 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs
4: such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age
7: with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here
1: on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
2: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of our listeners. Um, just before the break I did mention it will be a short break and I'm sure uh, people will agree it was a quite a short break um, and I was discussing that we will be going through the the sequence of our show which is uh, the first part of our show which is uh, the news the weather um, so let's look into what the weather is looking like for the week um, I'm sure everyone that's outside right now in their cars they will agree with me that it's a very cold start to the day as usual for this part of the year um, so, for today, this morning we'll see cloud gradually build in from the west to become largely cloudy by the afternoon uh It will remain largely dry, however, with just the odd spot of light rain likely um it will be breezy so it will it will it will not rain uh a lot but um it will be quite cloudy um as we move on. To the later part of the day um, tonight we'll see more in the way of cloud throughout although the odd clearer break may also develop at times staying generally dry a mild night fresh westerly winds locally strong so strong winds tonight for everyone and tomorrow morning cloud will become thicker for a time with the chance of a few patches of light rain and in the afternoon it will turn largely dry and um, some bright spells will break up a windy day. So Thursday for everyone, tomorrow will be a very windy day. Um, For Friday and Saturday, there will be uh, scattered light showers on Friday, morning with some bright spells in places too, turning largely dry on Saturday with prolonged bright spells in the morning and just a few spots of rain possible. So it will be largely dry on Saturday. It's the weekend, um, and and obviously the school holidays for the kids are starting. So that's a um, positive uh, look on to Saturday. But it will be windy throughout, and Sunday will see variably uh, cloudy and bright spells throughout the day. But it will be dry in the morning, but showers drifting in during the afternoon. So that was the weather um, and how it will be looking like for the rest of the week. If we just move on to the news, I'm sure the main topic that everyone will want to discuss or talk about is the war, it's the genocide that's going on in Palestine, in Gaza, um, from the Israelis, the attacks that have been taking place. Um, but as As I mentioned earlier, our first segment of the show is um, regarding this topic, which is the Israel and Hamas conflict. So we will maybe discuss some other news and then move on to the segment where we'll be discussing this topic further. If we go through the papers um, this morning and see the headlines, So in The Guardian, um, England's goalkeeper Mary Earps is splashed across the papers uh, on Wednesday after winning the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year. Mm. The Guardian describes the number one wearing winner as a World Cup star. But elsewhere on the front page um, is the latest in Gaza, as the death toll grows and Israel continues its offensive." That's The Guardian. That's what it's reporting on the front page today. Um, If we move on to The Times, um, same headline as mentioned on The Guardian, which is ERPS also takes prime real estate space on the front page of The Times, alongside a report voicing concerns from a charity for older people that the elderly will bear the burnt of junior doctor strikes in December and January. So, apart from the winner of the BBC Personality of the Year, there is a mention of the strikes in December in The Times. But there is no mention of the Israel and Gaza war on The Times. If we move on to the Daily Mail, we see that the headlines is Kemi teaching children you can be born in the wrong body is harmful. Which is um, quite a unique message. The transgender gender guidelines for schools also dominate the front page of the Daily Mail. The lead article on the paper's front cover focuses on a piece written inside the publication of Miss Bednock in which she says the new guidance will protect young people and provide school staff with clarity and that from now on school staff will have to consider if a pupil asking to identify as the opposite sex has been influenced by social media or peer pressure, which I completely agree with. It's a good uh, stance to take from the school Um, and also relating to this there was a news in um, some of the websites that uh, Rishi Sunak is considering banning social media for 16 year olds which I thought was a very good move also um, considering the effects that the social media has on young children as just mentioned on this paper on the Daily Mail um regarding transgender and other sensitive topics like this because kids are young they do not know how to maybe go about and what decisions to take, and whatever they see on social media they might take it as the correct information, so it's not a um I wouldn't say it's not a too um a bad call from Rishi sunak if. This is what he is uh, really considering, to ban 16-year-olds, up to 16-year-olds, from social media. Um, of course, there does have its um, advantages. Social media is does have its advantages. There's a lot of education on these platforms. You can learn a lot. The correct information is also there. But to differentiate from correct uh, what's right and what's wrong is also an issue for young people children who are vulnerable so on the daily mail the as i mentioned that's what the headline is uh also on the daily mail's cover is an yeah is in an opinion piece on dame esther Ransen's call for a vote on assisted dying in the uk and a report in a report on british man colin armstrong who was abducted in the early hours of saturday from a farm in Ecuador. So that was the Daily Mail. If we move on to the Daily Mirror, the headlines are My Mum Should Not Have to Die Alone at Dignitius. The debate around assisted dying also features on the front page of the Daily Mirror with Dame Esther Ranson's daughter telling the paper My Mum Should Not Have to Die Alone at Dignitius following the veteran BBC Star's BBC interview in which she said she may seek an assisted death in Switzerland if her cancer treatments fail. The paper also picks up uh, on the story of Mr Armstrong's kidnapping, describing the case as a riddle. The Daily Telegraph is also picturing uh, Mary Earp celebrating her win um, of the personality Sports Personality of the Year, but also alongside um, a report that says the U.S. is considering military strikes against Houthi sites in Yemen following the Hamas allies' attack on the Red Sea. So basically, the Houthis who are from Yemen, who is a military of Yemen, they have been attacking Israeli ships who are trying to make their way into Israel with goods, with products for Israel. So they have basically said that until the attacks on the Palestinian people in Gaza do not stop, we will not stop, as in the Yemenis will not stop attacking the ships that are coming through and making its way to Israel. Um, So now, from the Daily Telegraph, what do we see is that the US is now considering military strikes against the houthi sites in yemen so this could escalate to a larger war in the nation in the in the, in the middle east nation which hopefully does not happen as there's also already been such destruction and atrocities that have been taking place and um, in gaza not in just gaza but around that region so this will just escalate another um, um, escalator, death toll, you may say, in the civilians around that region. But uh, Yemenis are saying that if they do not stop, then they will not stop their strikes on the Israeli ships. They have, I believe, taken down a couple of ships already as it did not listen to its commands of making its way to Israel. So we will just have to wait and see how this plays out. I'm sure um, um, whatever happens, um, may God keep everyone safe and um, give strength and patience to the families who are suffering and who will suffer if this does escalate. Um, if we move on to the Daily Express, the similar headlines of uh, the sports personality of the year. Um, and in Financial Times, uh, it mentions that tax is also among the leading stories for the Wednesday edition of the Financial Times, with a report on Scotland's new high-income tax ban of 45%. The paper writes that the new bracket is uh, widening the gap between what better off Scots and their counterparts in the rest of the UK pay? Alongside that story is a report on activist investor, civilian capital, investing more than $1 billion in Swiss bank. Um, on the Metro, it's uh, quite a interesting headline, which is Epstein Friends Named on Jan 1. So it focuses on Jeffrey Epstein um, with a report that documents naming dozens of Epstein's associates will be released on the 1st January 2024. The newspaper describes this release as a ticking time bomb for paedophiles associates. So that's quite a big headline as um, I was also reading on the BBC News that a, a U.S. judge has ordered for the names of more than 170 people that were associates of Jeffrey Epstein or who made their way to the island and took part in this these, these acts. So the U.S. judge has said that these names um, should be released, 170 of them. So the names of more than 170 associates of the convicted sex offender which is Jeffrey Epstein could be named public next month after a ruling from a judge in the US. Um also BBC mentioned that Prince Andrew is expected to be among them if evidence is released from a woman who claims who made that claim in 2001. So that is a very um, interesting headline indeed. Um And um, regarding the situation in America, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court has said that Trump is off the ballot citing insurrection. So Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that Donald Trump cannot run for president next year in the state because of the... Basically, the court has ruled that Mr. Trump was not an eligible candidate because he had engaged in an insurrection over the U.S. Capitol riot nearly three years ago. So that's the claim that they are making, that he's not eligible to take part in the presidential elections or run for president next year in that state because of his part in the U.S. Capitol riot. Um, also so other, other, other states around the USA have tried to go ahead with a similar decision but they have failed um, states such as uh, I was uh, reading that uh, majority of the states did try but they did not manage to come to this decision. So that's one of the news that we will be, um, that that was mentioned in the headlines. Um, and there, listener, that was the section for the news this morning. We will be heading towards a short break. Um, don't go anywhere as we will be moving swiftly on to the segments um, after the break. Please join me after the
8: break. It is my personal experience that to obey the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with a sincere heart and to love him, ultimately makes a person beloved of God. God creates in his heart a burning for his own love, and such a one, withdrawing his heart from everything else, leans towards God, and his affection and desire remain only for God Almighty. Thereupon a special manifestation of divine love falls upon him, and bestowing upon him the full colour of love and devotion, pulls him towards itself with great force. He then overcomes his passions and from every direction extraordinary works of God Almighty appear as signs in his support and to help him.
1: Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. Why is it not permitted to hang up pictures in a mosque? Is there a misconception that they will come alive? There is no such notion in the Islamic teachings that pictures might come alive. Pictures are not allowed to be hung in mosques where Muslims pray for the simple reason that pictures can be a cause for distraction. When a Muslim prays, all his concentration should be on God and no physical objects are even needed to establish a spiritual link with the Supreme Being. This is the reason for the absence of any physical objects, including pictures, inside the mosque where Muslims pray. Keeping this in mind... There will be no sense in hanging pictures in the mosque, which might distract the worshippers. Otherwise, Islam does not prohibit the hanging of pictures in other places.
6: Allah. Allah.
1: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on D.A.B. and via the Internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on D.A.B. and via the Internet 24 hours a day.
2: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Um, Welcome back to the Voice of Islam you are joined with me at the breakfast show as were, I was discussing earlier that we will be moving on to the segments of the show uh, the first segment is Israel and Hamas conflict um, can peace be bought by Gutierrez's use of UN article 99 um, we did record some um, interview with some guests who were the expertise of these topics so we will be playing this recording for you now.
7: So we're thankful and very grateful to have Professor Muhammad Abu Nimr with us. As-salamu alaykum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the show. As-salamu alaykum. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you, thank you so, so much for, for joining us and uh, speaking to us So Just to begin with, could you just outline your role as a professor in international peace and uh, conflict resolution, please?
3: Yes, I'm a professor of peace and conflict resolution, um, at the American University in Washington, D.C., and I'm the holder of the Abdul Aziz uh, Saeed uh, Chair for Peace and Conflict Resolution. I am also the president of Salaam Institute.
7: Very good, very good. So in regards to this, in regards, in regards to your expertise, how do you think that we can bring peace between you know the, the two nations that uh, that, are, that are in conflict right now, but also any nations that are at war with it, with each other, how can we bring peaceful uh, how, how can we make a peaceful solution in regards to that
3: I think uh, you know, regardless the nature of the conflict around the world specifically uh, or any specific one, the principles that we promote and teach um, each and try to apply is the notion that all humans are created equal and hence every human and every group of people have a sense of sense and the need for dignity and the freedom
9: and security
3: and i think if we take this principle that all human are equal um, and we try to apply this to the different grievances that people have um, with the second principle of commitment to nonviolence resolution of conflict, which means that um, regardless the nature of the relationship, we are committed to solve the problems and the conflicts in a peaceful way, in a nonviolent way, Um, rather than using weaponization and militarization uh, because this method has failed, uh, failed us a great deal throughout the history and unfortunately we still trying to use those means to settle the conflict which basically cost us a great deal of lives and also a huge uh, scale of destruction to property, uh, it affects the climate. There are many arguments why we should not use violence in resolving our conflict. Those are two basic principles, and then I think everything else will emanate from them, or or will will be um, based on those two major principles. So just like you have so, said,
7: okay. yes. Yeah, so just like you have said that it's it's important for all of us to realize in the very outset that we you know that we are human beings and we are one and the same and it's sometimes difficult to to actually get that message across if there is no such thing as a as a dialogue if you know if if the two nations are not willing to make that dialogue or if one nation is willing but the other nation is not willing To create that or establish that dialogue, that peaceful dialogue between themselves, then it's quite a difficult situation as well, isn't it? So, in that particular situation, in your expertise, when one nation or both nations are not willing to negotiate, they're not willing to actually sit down and have a proper dialogue, an open dialogue, then how do you sort of uh, get that message across?
3: Well, I think, you know, no, no, it's like you're trying. You know, you say there's a, you realize that a cancer patient in stage four, um, and then you then try to say, okay, the cure I'm giving him or her is not working. So I'm, my sense is to go back to the root causes and the structures of violence in each side or in in the, in those who refuse to recognize equality and the freedom for the other, uh, like for themselves. Is to go back and see what are the structures of violence that they have in their society. In the case of India uh, and and the uh, UK or, or the the the, the British um, in, in the 30s and the 40s, it was very clear, you know, that the, the British will not necessarily uh, agree to grant India independence until Gandhi realized that through peaceful, non-violent means, he and Ooh. his movement can exercise leverage. And um, so l- people should use non-violent, peaceful leverage means in order to put a pressure on those who refuse and reject the principle of equality and the freedom for all. And those, there are many ways to exercise that pressure. But I'm not trying to you know, avoid your question. I know that the reality of having super like the United States, Russia, China, India, and others makes these aspects different and more challenging. Uh, yes, I do have a belief in the people movement and people power to actually voice their um, needs for a human uh, dignity and for equality in pursuing their needs. Um, and again, if all government will accept dialogue and non-violent peaceful means immediately, then we don't have conflict anyway.
7: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, again, in your expertise as a professor, when we talk about, when we talk about the Guterres' use of the, the UN article 99, how can peace be brought about with, the, with that article?
3: Well, I mean, you know, the article was brought in uh, in, uh, in a desperate measure of the United Nations Secretary General, in which uh, he was sending a clear message to the um, United Nations uh, Security Council, uh, that is controlled by the veto power
9: um, of the super,
3: yeah. you know, of the largest countries. Was a clear message to say, look, this system is not working and you are not doing your job uh, facing the human catastrophe in Gaza, yeah. and what, yeah. is that, yeah. what the Israeli are inflicting, army inflicting on Palestinians from a genocide, and also in attacking United Nations missions. So you need to do your job. And this give the United Nations Secretary General the chance to send this message. And it was sent. But unfortunately, the, the the united nation in general without the security council does not have a mechanism to enforce its decision um, because there has been over 70 previous vetoes uh, that the u.s have used in support of israeli apartheid and israeli occupation of palestinian territory and the u.n could not implement these so i mean overall what we are seeing with the 99 or with the other also resolution that they have invoked uh, with the larger uh, UN assembly uh, you know those illustrate that our international uh, go, non international governmental institutions uh, are in need for reforms and there are many calls to reform uh, and abolish the the grasp of power the grip of power that the 15 countries, or uh, who who uh, sit in the Security Council and decide for the world, uh, particularly when you have 153 countries around the world voted to stop the, the 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 war and voted for ceasefire. Yet you have the superpower, which is mostly Northern Hemisphere countries. Uh, using their veto uh, to protect an occupier. But then, the
7: ha- with, with you, you know, how do you say that? How is there any justice in regards to this as well? Because if we say that the United Nations is, you know, they have, they have equal rights, but then some nations, which are the bigger nations, the powerful nations, they have the veto power and they say, you know, we don't want to listen to your rules. We are part of the, the, you know, the United Nations, but we do not want to listen to your rules, and we want to implement our own rules because we have our own agenda. How is, the, is this true democracy then?
1: No,
3: I mean, <laughs> I, I was pointing out that this is, this is a, a this is dysfunctional system this system is being manipulated yeah. to perpetuate the domination and colonization of yeah.
7: the southern
3: hemisphere by many countries around the world who have been colonizing in the past these territory and they still you know moving with the 1940s the principle that give them privilege over any other country it's not fair it's not just and it's not only that it's beyond this it is another tool to perpetuate colonization mechanisms over uh, smaller countries uh, less powerful people and as you see in the case of palestine since 1917 when the british provided the balfour declaration and converted palestinian indigenous people to uh, to minority uh, they reduced them to that status and, um, you know, the world is still unable to enforce its uh, um, uh, its, its resolutions because the British and the American and the French and, the, you know, the Russian and the other countries are using their veto power. So, as I said, this system, this war has been proven again and again that we as human who share those global platforms need to be. More concerned about the equity, the justice, the politics of these institutions, and they need to be reformed. They need to be restructured in a way that we can provide security, human security, for for people of Myanmar, for people of um, you know Sri Lanka, for people of Palestine, for people of um, you know any any um, for for all African uh, uh, countries who are suffering from many of these civil war as a result in many ways because of the interference and interest of the european countries there exactly exactly that is you know i, I agree i agree with you uh, in the, in that regard as
7: well professor you've uh, you've written a book which is titled dialogue conflict resolution and change what what would be the impact of this war if you know if it if it continues like this
3: uh, you know this war you know that book really relates to the core of the to the core of the problem, and that book comes to illustrate that a dialogue between Palestinians and Israelis, and even dialogue between Israeli Jews and Arabs with Israeli citizenship, cannot be genuine and authentic and effective if it's not based on the principle of symmetry and the principle of equality. So many times dialogue uh, organization and countries even call for dialogue, but they put conditions and they they dominate the dialogue discourse and they manipulate it to serve their own public image. Or it's another extension of the uh, foreign policy propaganda where dialogue groups are used to say, look, they are living in harmony and peace, and there is no problem. So that's my, the premise of my book was to say, we need to be careful of those types of dialogue. We need to promote dialogue that based on the notion of share the humanity, equality, justice, and allow people who are under occupation to be free. And that was the premise of it. The implication of this war right now it's unfortunately brought us back into the 1950s and 19 even 40s dynamic in which the israeli public is been fed propaganda and fed by many lies by their politicians to say this is a religious war this is either us or them and continue with their vengeance and their campaign of genocide against not only hamas against the entire palestinian two million who live there and also in the West Bank. And the consequences is more dehumanization, is more animosity, more divides, and uh, unfortunately whatever Oslo Agreement in 1993 have done in terms of recognition of the two sides the right to peacefully exist beside each other, that has been fully d- destroyed and we're looking at now, fully new, uh, new in many ways, a new start, uh, or, or you know, reverting back to the dynamic of denial of the other. We repeatedly hear the Israeli policy makers and leaders, military leaders, saying, you know, there will be no Palestinian state, there will be no, um, there there will be no return to the of Gaza and to their houses. Um, you know, we want to starve them. Uh, basically, a discourse and the language of uh, uh, genocide and ethnic cleansing, and we know this causes people to more fear, more uh, violence, more extremism, and it will produce a next generation who is who's raised on the trauma of a genocide. That, that's unfortunately where we are right now. And I think the international yeah. community, especially the United Nations, the United States, and Britain, and Germany, and others are endorsing that. And they are becoming, they have become in this war, you know, an, a, an active party uh, fighting with Israel, providing Israel with the green light to uh, perpetu- to, to to do uh, to execute war crimes, and we're watching it live. We're watching it live. That is the, you know that is the
4: yeah, that
3: that is the problem, the double standards as well. The you
7: know with they they would say something to one nation, but they won't say the other thing the other nation as well, when they are doing the same thing.
3: Sometimes, you know, yeah. the double standard is something that's getting in the way. Uh, yeah, there are but, but of labels. a, a there are number of labels you can use, the double standard, absolutely. Yes, yes. But also in in its heart, in the way it is on the surface and in its deep meaning, it's really racism. It's anti-Palestinian racism. It's, anti, it's African, anti-African racism. It's a message to say the life, the life of people in Palestine and the life of people in Africa, the life of people in many parts of the southern hemisphere are not as important and valuable as the life of an American or a French or a British or Israeli Jew. That's the message that has been sent very clearly As a result of these policies the lip service that they do through the different you know propaganda machine is no longer uh, capable of um, um, in many ways deceiving people people see through these things already and not myself but also many other analysts and people have expressed that in their demonstrations and their protests and in their analysis as well. The solution the resolution for this current crisis in order to go forward, it's the best thing that countries who sit in the Security Council or countries like the U.S. and the Western countries, what they can do is intervene in order to support Equal rights and the freedom and security for all people, and stop providing more arms and more weapons to Israeli or to Palestinian or to anyone who are engaging in the fight, because the more weapon and the more militarization will only bring to destruction and loss of life. What we need, we need a more of a bro of an honest broker who can bring the parties together and recognize the right for uh, self-determination and recognize the right for um, people to practice their own faith and have the freedom to, um, to worship um, like any other um, people or religions around uh, our community of faith around the world. Um, I mean, that's one point I wanted to add. The other thing is that, you know, it is yes. important also for us as uh, as outsiders who look at this conflict not to be complacent or to uh, to observe from far because if we are silent and complacent on this genocidal campaign and ethnic cleansing in Gaza and the use of starvation as a mode to punish collectively punish 2 million people we are uh, contributing to structures of violence we are contributing to um, uh, to the destruction of our international uh, human rights uh, culture we are contributing to the um, delegitimization of international uh, agency like the UN and international human rights and all other uh, um, all other uh, covenants that human have accomplished or established in the past 100 years. We are hurting not only Gaza and Palestinian and Israelis, but also we're hurting ourselves wherever we are. This conflict affects everybody, not only the two millions of Gaza. So it is important to speak up and, and take a stand in, in calling for an immediate ceasefire rather than observe what's taking place.
7: I I agree with you 100% in regards to this as well it's not going to just affect those countries but all the other countries uh, as well because it can escalate even further So this is very very uh, important for us to for us to do that.
8: So that was uh, an interview that we were fortunate enough to do we've got a brief audio clip that we would like to play for you guys as well in uh, in regards to in regards to this uh, the current war which is happening between Israel and Palestine, um, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, His Holiness Hazrat Masood Ahmad may Allah be his helper, on in response to some political leaders regarding this particular issue, uh, we're going to pl- play a, a small audio clip for you guys.
3: There are some people who draw attention towards these things. For example, recently, former American President Obama said that even if war must be fought, it should be fought in accordance with the rules of war, and civilians should not be made to endure injustices. The Secretary General of the United Nations
8: also spoke up, upon which the Israeli government expressed its displeasure. The claimants of peace in
4: the rest of the world, those who consider themselves to be the greatest champions of peace, did not say anything in support of the Secretary General's statement. Rather, they Expressed their displeasure.
8: So that was uh, basically uh, a a, a translation of what His Holiness actually said in in one of his Friday sermons. It's important that you know we talk about this issue because it's it's something which is uh, you know which has been ongoing for so long, so many so many years, decades even, and a resolution. As you you know, as we spoke to uh, our our previous guest just right now as well. he was talking about how there needs to be dialogue, how there needs to be a a mutual dialogue where both parties come together and they discuss, they talk about this issue and they come to a resolution. Mm. But obviously that cannot happen if, for instance, one party says that, no, we don't want Mm. to have this negotiation. We don't want to come down and sit down and have have a talk, have a discussion and have an open dialogue. It has to go both ways, right? It has to go both ways, obviously. And without this cooperation from both nations, and it doesn't matter if we're, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not just for this current situation, the current war, it's for any, city or any sort of... Um, conflict. Any conflict, world, exactly. Yeah. Any sort of conflict, whether it's Russia or, or Ukraine, hmm. whether it's uh, China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, or... The Southeastern Sea Or whether it's in the Middle East Or where, where, wherever it it may be All the nations that are At indifference with with one another It's until they come down Sit down and have that mutual discussion And have they that put talk, their
2: egos to the side Come down, to side. sit together exactly, And then discuss what's best to do With harmony and peace How we can come to harmony exactly.
8: and peace Exactly, that is the way That is the way forward And we're going to be talking about A little bit more about this uh, after the news as also well. join us after uh, after the news break and uh, we are fortunate enough to interview uh, uh, two other professors also and we'll have to play that for you guys also so join us after the news Allah.
2: اشهد <تصفيق> ان
8: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned before, we're going to be uh, we or we were fortunate enough to interview two other professors in regards to this uh, particular topic, and uh, we would like to play those uh, those interviews for you guys as well. Professor Alan Bemier. Uh, we spoke to and uh, he spoke about, you know, different things in regards to the is how it, uh, uh, you know, the use of Article 99 and the impact of that as well. So let's listen to what he had to say in uh, in this matter.
7: We're happy and privileged to have Professor Alan ben Meer with us, who is a professor of international relations. And thank you for joining us
9: and speaking to us today. Thank you, it's my pleasure, anytime. Just to begin with, just so that our listeners can have a better
7: understanding of your expertise, could you outline your role as a professor of international relations?
9: Well, I I taught courses in international negotiation and conflict resolution, um, um, and general courses in international relations with a focus on the Middle East for more than 25 years. Now, obviously, you must have a lot of experience in this regard as well.
7: Because of the current uh, situation, could you just uh, tell us what you think about the, or, you know, the, about why the Guterres invoked it, and how we can sort of help these two nations to
9: stop uh, the, the war, which is raging right now. Well, you know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been raging, as you well know, going back to from 1948. But specifically, the occupation began 1967. From that point on, the Palestineis for the last 56 years, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict basically has become has gotten much worse than it was, and now is culminating with the Israel-Gaza war, which basically demonstrated that the Israeli occupation is not sustainable, That is that the Palestinian extremist rejection of Israel is not acceptable, is not sustainable either. And it's about time for the both sides to come mm-hmm. to face reality and begin to and, and accept each other, sit down and negotiate a solution. Obviously, there are still extremists on both sides that still are not interested in finding a mutually acceptable solution, and yeah. are still looking for basically all or nothing. They want the entire territory from the Mediterranean to the Georgian River, but that obviously did not work in the past, and is not going to work at this at this point. Professor, you've you've authored seven books.
7: Uh, could you just tell us what do you think about how we can sort of bring peace to these two nations as well? Because that's very important, isn't it, that we talk about peace and we talk about mutual
9: dialogue and how can that be achieved? Well, you know, I have always been maintaining the position that the only way we can achieve peace between Israel and the Palestinians has to be based on a two-state solution. That is, an independent Palestinian state to coexist peacefully with an independent Israel. That is really in my view, as a matter of fact, as we speak and just finished writing a major piece, why two-state solution is the only option. And so mm-hmm. this is where we stand today. Now, Israel under the Netanyahu government has opposed and continue to oppose the creation of a Palestinian state. But uh, given what has transpired specifically since the war began, that is the last war between Israel and Hamas, everybody now realized that the time has come for the both sides to to, to 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 conclude that there is no way this conflict is going to end unless both sides sit down and face the bitter reality. They need to coexist. That is coexistence is not one of many options is the only option because they are stuck. They live side by side. Neither, neither side can get rid of the other. So they have them to make a choice. Do they want to fight for another 56 years and kill each other? Or do you want to find a solution where they can live in peace and prosper together? That is really the only practical solution, practical option. And anything short of that is simply has not worked and is not going to work in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, they need to have this mutual dialogue and
7: they need to make sure that uh, they're giving each other their due rights as well, and they're not usurping each other's rights at the same time. We need to make sure, you know. I mean, if that happens, then obviously peace can be established, or they can initiate. Finally, Professor, I, I, could, you, could you explain to us how can peace be brought by the Guterres use of the, you know, UN Articles
9: 99? I'm sorry. Come again. It's a bad connection. Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry
7: to ask you, Professor, that can you explain to us how can peace be brought by these Guter- Guterres' use of the UN Article 99?
9: Well, you know, in reality, the United Nations Security Council and, for that matter, the General Assembly really has not been effective in trying to advance the peace process between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, for all intents and purposes is ignored completely, just about every resolution passed by the United Nations Security Council. So the solution does not lie in the United Nations. It lies really between Israel and the Palestinians. But the power that in fact can exert a real pressure is the United States on the one side, on one hand, and the leading Arab states, in particular those Saudi Arabia and those countries that have peace with Israel, namely Egypt, United Arab Emirates, Morocco, Jordan, these are the countries that actually can begin to exercise and put some pressure on Israel to begin to change its approach toward the Palestinians because the Palestinians do have an inalienable right to live in peace and security as long as they grant the Israelis the same right. So this yeah. is where we stand. It's about time that is the Gaza war now demonstrated. These powers, external powers, namely what I just mentioned, the United States and these Arab states, ought to get together and 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 work with the Israeli and the Palestinian to formulate, to create a formula, how how to establish a two-state solution, how how to to resolve the various conflicting issues in connection territories, Jerusalem the refugees, the settlement, we have a solution for that. I personally wrote a major work for the World Affairs Journal, expressing exactly how these conflicting issues can be resolved. So I feel very strongly that the solution can be found, it must be found, and as a matter of fact, neither side has any option but to find a solution unless they wanna continue to kill each other for another century.
7: Very, very much interesting. Very powerful words there as well, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us and speaking to us today. And uh, hopefully, I'm sure the listeners will definitely
9: benefit from this as well. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure anytime. Thank you.
8: Very, very interesting listening to uh, Professor Alan Bear, Ben mayer over there as well. Um, We've got another interview that we would like to play for you guys as well, and that is of Professor David Ottaway. It was uh, quite interesting. Also, let's listen, to, let's listen to him.
10: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Um, we do have online with us our guest of the morning, David uh, Ottaway. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show.
6: Thank you. Nice, nice to join you. Thank you.
10: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just to begin with, uh, you know, from one of your articles, uh, why a day after in the Israel-Hamas war is unlikely? Could you explain to us what is this article about and why did you write an article in regards to
6: Well I wrote the article because everybody was asking the Israelis um, at least here in the US what are you going to do the day after the war stops? What is your plan for the future? And it struck me that this is not the time when it's going to be possible to have Hmm. serious uh, negotiations because all three parties involved, I mean by that, Israel, Hamas, and the United States, Hmm. are facing internal issues and elections that have to be sorted out before you can possibly have serious negotiations. Mm. And so I just think it's the wrong time, very almost impossible. We need to know who's going to govern Israel, whether yeah. Netanyahu, Prime Minister, is going to be ousted or not. We need to know for the Palestinians mm. um, who is going to be able to negotiate anything yeah. with Israel. Yeah. And. For the united states we're facing elections we don't know whether biden is going to still be there after next november Mm. um so it's just a very very difficult time uh to try and uh launch any kind of you know negotiations for uh a a final status of uh the west bank and gaza
10: So um, you know, do you believe that there is a future for Palestine? Like, because from some of the statements the ministers of Israel have made, they seem to, and from the actions that we're seeing as well, they seem to be wanting to, you know, um, essentially decimate the land. Um, do you think there will be a future for Palestine? And do you think we can come to a peaceful resolution?
6: Uh, I am. I remain pessimistic. Yeah. Because the. Right wing in Israel seems to have the upper hand in domestic politics now. Mm. And um, going forward, they're probably going to be less likely to want to enter negotiations that would create an independent Palestinian state. Yeah. uh, Primarily because of security issues after Mm. what's happened uh, uh, in. in uh, Gaza and southern Israel. Mm. Um, so, and I don't think um, we will see. But I don't think that the United States, whether it's a Biden administration or a Trump administration, mm. is is willing to have a showdown with the Israelis over the settler movement in the West Bank. Mm. And um, so I don't think, I'm doubtful that the United States will be willing to put enough pressure on the Israelis mm. to resolve uh, the problem of a growing number of settlers and uh, Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Mm. And seems to me that the Palestinians... Are going to remain just as divided as they were before between Hamas and the um, Palestine Palestinian Authority or Fatah. Mm. They're going to remain just as divided as they were before. And yeah. um, so I don't know whether the Palestinians can come up with one voice on on uh, what to negotiate and what kind of compromise to accept.
4: Mm.
10: So, so the books you know you have written. What do you think? Is there any way to come to peace? Do you, um, do you have um, going forward? What do you think? It is a peaceful resolution that we can maybe you know be optimistic about. How how can we? How can these two nations come uh, to peace?
6: Well, you would have to have some kind of change of government in Israel. Mm-hmm. One that was more dominated by what is now the opposition or the sort of secular parties rather than the religious groups and yeah. parties. And um, we will see, but I would really be surprised if the secular Israeli parties um, are able to um, throw out not only not only Netanyahu, but the Likud. <laughs> -hmm. So um, I just don't see how the negotiations are uh, could possibly succeed as long as you have the balance of power and the Knesset, (laughs) the Israeli Knesset, Mm. um, basically in favor of the religious parties, or at least they're strong enough to. It's a coalition government, and it takes very few. deputies to um, block something like agreeing to a two-state solution. Mm. Um, so I remain pessimistic, I'm afraid. Yeah.
10: yeah. So it's understandable, uh, given the situation. And, you know, for, but just before we let you go, could you please explain to us what do you think Article 99 of the UN Charter is about and why is it described as a special
6: power? Well, the article 99 it authorizes the Secretary General to if he thinks the situation is somewhere in the world is so dramatic that mm. it threatens international peace and stability to bring that issue to the UN Security Council. Mm. And clearly uh, the Secretary General Guterres sees the War now and it's going ongoing in Israel and uh, in Gaza yeah. as a threat to international peace and stability. And we're beginning to see that that may be true because of what's happening now in the Red Sea mm. with the Houthi government attacking yeah. international shipping.
4: Mm.
6: And uh, so the, it, it is becoming more and more of an international issue and crisis. Yeah, than it was before. Yeah. So they're voting, I, I believe, again today on a new UN Security Council resolution calling for immediate ceasefire. Hmm. Yes.
10: And uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on what's happening with you know uh, Yemen? You know, stepping in to uh, stop some of the ships going through the you know the Red Sea using that route. And um, what, what are your thoughts about that?
6: Well, I've just written a piece about this. I think the United States, that has um, stated flatly that it will keep open babel Mandeb mm. Strait to international shipping, mm. uh, um, has to has to act to to uh, keep it open because the from the Houthis' point of view, yeah. They have been able to find uh, some point where they can pressure the United States into pressuring Israel Mm. to halt the fighting and uh, the United States is now considering whether to uh, begin to attack the Houthi positions on shore. Not just shooting down their missiles and drones, which they've been doing by the uh, by the scores, I should say, um, mm. in order to um, stop the attacks on the on the shipping. Mm. Um, now, whether this is Iran behind this whole scheming, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, the Houthis are are quite, you know, they're. They're, at this point, they're, they're fairly independent of Iran. Mm. Um, but, but, to, but they owe a lot to the Iranians in terms of providing them arms and giving them political support. And, mm. um, so whether they are responding to a request from Iran or they yeah. just want to show their solidarity mm. with the Palestinians, you know, we don't know yeah but the fact is they're doing what they're doing and we have to deal with that mm.
10: thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning uh, mr david ottawa it's been a pleasure speaking to you for now have a good morning take care and uh, goodbye
6: all right thank you very much
8: so these were the these were three interviews that we were that we conducted earlier on um all these professors spoke uh, you know quite eloqu- eloquently about this uh, particular topic and I think, just just to conclude this topic as well, mm. His Holiness, the Worldwide Head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, as Mizam Masood may Allah be his helper, in literally, you know, for for a, for a number of Friday sermons now, he has been telling us to to pray for those Palestinians. Yeah. Pray for those, the, you know, especially the innocent people, mm. the women, the children, the elderly, all of those people who are, you know, who are caught up in this uh, in, in this war and who are losing their lives also. Um may Allah the Almighty protect them but also may Allah the Almighty give, you know, the the Muslim nations this mm. ability to actually stand up yeah. and defend their Muslim yeah. brothers.
2: Um, yeah and exactly. uh, as 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 we were mentioning earlier in the news that you know, one Muslim nation which is Yemen. Yeah. Um it is rising up. It is trying to stop the conflict. It has said that until you don't stop the attacks on the Palestinians in Gaza, we are not going to let any Israeli ship that needs to go to Israel to deliver its goods and its products, we will not let them through. And we will attack those ships unless you don't stop the attacks on the Palestinians in Gaza. So this is one country in the Muslim nation that's standing up. Mm. And because of this, I was reading earlier today that because of this act of Yemen... The U.S. is demanding to um, join together with other nations yeah, around yeah, yeah, the world yeah, yeah. so that they can um, do
8: something about... Do something about, a, just about, prosper something, I forgot what it's called, but...
2: Yeah, so the, to, to to go against this action of the Yemenis. So yeah. this is one country that's standing up. Now imagine if all the Muslim nations stood up and they said, no, this is not right, we're going to go against mm. this, you have to stop this. Then the impact that it will have on the United States or on the oppressors you can say yeah. will be nations. very big and it will have an effect but it's just the what the His Holiness says that if the Muslim nations unite yeah. like, it will be a powerful force yeah. to uh, demand justice
8: I mean no one would be able to yeah. even raise a finger exactly to, to the exactly. Muslims Muslim and he's, been, sa- and
2: well. he's been saying this from the start from the start from it's the not start. just now Exactly since
8: the beginning since its inception yeah. Um, like you know, like we're like we're saying, this is an ongoing topic, and obviously we can't sort of just conclude here as well. Mm. We will most probably do shows in yeah. regards to this in the future, very important topic. in future days and future weeks also. Mm. So uh, we, we're going to be taking a very short break, and then right after when we come back, we're going to go into our our first segment, our second segment, uh, which is the final segment of this uh, of, uh, of, of of this morning's breakfast show, and that is in regards to how it's getting colder. And the colder it gets, the more people become lonely, Um, especially for the elders. We're taking a short break, and right after that, we'll come back and speak to our guests in regards to this topic as well.
2: أشهد <تصفيق>
1: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio
0: The originator, the one from whom all creation originated. And he
2: it is who originates the creation, then repeats it and it is most easy for him.
1: Listening to the voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
8: As-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And we're going to be talking about this uh, particular topic, as I mentioned uh, before before the break, as well. That the colder it gets, and it is getting quite cold, the more lonesome. Uh, it will get, especially for especially for the elders, the elderly as well. So this is the the reason why we're doing or talk, talking about this topic is because the southeast of England has has been hit with the you I know mean, earlier winter snowfall in fifteen years, and this is causing health alerts to be to be issued. And older people are told to wear more layers in regards to this mm. as well. But it's not just about keeping warm. It's about this uh you know this having an effect on our on our social life, and then that has a knock on effect on our on our mental life as well our mental aspect because obviously if it's if it's cold and you're told to stay indoors you're told you're told to you know uh cover up mm. you're told you're told to wear more layers you're told to stay at home and not go outside as much. Obviously there's not going to be as many people wandering about. Mm. Your friends and family are gonna be are not going to be visiting you uh as much as they would, maybe, you know, in the summer or mm. when the when the weather is quite nice. And that can have you know, that can have a detrimental effect on uh on, on your on your social well being because we are social creatures, we do want to meet each other and we do long to meet each other as well. But When that is not allowed, you know, for Mm. for instance, the days of COVID, right? When there was lockdown and all of this. I think the elders, you know, who were living maybe in, yeah, yeah, living either alone Mm. or in care homes Mm. and no one was coming to visit them. Yeah. I think they took it on the, you know, had it worse Mm. because they literally need someone to talk Mm. to.
2: The thing is, I was, I was, um, I saw this video online Mm. quite recently and it was this very elderly person and he he looked quite sick as well, and he was in the hospital. And he was mentioning that, you know, the worst thing or the most detrimental thing of becoming old is not the uh, disease or the sickness or the or the uh, or the weakness that you go through, but it's the loneliness. <coughs> it's actually the loneliness that you feel. That's the main issue that the elderly actually have. Because they don't, they obviously they've reached that age. Most of their friends might have passed away, or yeah. their family's not around as often. So the most they're mostly affected by loneliness rather than uh, sickness or health or illness. Mm. So it does affect them quite uh, a bit, especially the the elderly, and it, and in yeah. and in obviously the Muslim households, Muslim societies, um, it is it is quite rare or it's not as uh, often that the elderly are left alone, if I must say, because um, you know how our our teachings from the Holy Quran is that we show kindness to parents, to the elderly. And even if they say something which we do not like, we're not allowed to even um, say uh, off. Yeah, say off. That's the exact word that the Quran has mentioned. So, um, in Muslim societies, we do uh, not let the elderly be be alone as such. Mm. So we <coughs> do find it rare that it is in Muslim societies. It,
8: it is a culture, mm. cultural thing yeah, also. also. Uh, it, it, like you said, it, it is part and parcel of uh, of the religion of mm. Islam. Yeah, as it would be most probably for other religions as well to take care of your elderly yeah. and your parents and all of this as well. But the way that Islam has described it, it's become part and parcel of our of our culture. Yeah, and there's other cultures also that. That kids, right? They they live with their parents for 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 a good time, Mm. not just until they're eighteen. Yeah, you know, in these Western countries, as soon as the Mm. kid turns eighteen, that's it. The the parents even know exactly that the kids are going to move out.
2: (laughs) there's another. They don't feel any sort of remorse. Yeah, there was a a video I was seeing as you just mentioned. There was a video I I saw where a, a, a a child. Well, an eighteen year old he just turned eighteen, yeah and A the children, p- are ch- our children. yeah yeah the children yeah um and as soon as she ch- turned eighteen, so she videoed her parents yeah uh secretly, okay, and in that video, the parents were saying to her that uh now you have to pay for the rent because mm. you're living with us, mm, you're, you're eighteen living with now us? every month you have to pay around two hundred or something for the room yeah that, <laughs> that you are so, having yeah. in our in our house yeah so it is a societal thing, but initially they are children at that time, especially yeah. eighteen-year-old,
8: especially eighteen, yeah. and especially if they don't even have a job. Yeah, if they're going to university mm. or they're they're still yeah. studying, yeah. for them to pay for a room, yeah. I mean, what, what's the difference <laughs> between they stay home or they go exactly, to university, exactly. stay on campus? Exactly. Fine, it might be a little bit cheaper. They yeah. might get some some perks as well, but still, <laughs> it's. <laughs> so I, I mean, I I have seen I have seen some, I uh. It is, it is, you know, quite interesting mm. as well to actually see to see this as well. But we will talk a little bit more uh, in regards to this. Yeah, um, it's something that we need to understand that, like I mentioned, it, sometimes it's a society thing as well. That in some cultures, what kids do as soon as they turn eighteen, they they leave their they leave yeah they do their move home. out yeah and it's uh, in in some other cultures. You know, the kids won't move out until maybe they'll have. Maybe they'll get married. Mm. They'll still be living with mm, the parents. Yeah, living with their parents, and yeah. there's nothing. There's there's nothing to look down upon. Yeah.
2: And they'll return the, all the favors that the parents had bestowed upon them during their time when they were living with them. And they will just return everything, all the blessings that they got from them mm. to the parents. Now they will help out in the house, and they will keep that household going. Yeah, because they've been living with the parents for so long. They've supported them. Now they.
8: The kids support them now. Exactly, exactly. So, it, it, you you know the, the Holy Quran, as I mentioned, the Holy Quran teaches us to take care of our parents, yeah. especially, and that is part and parcel of our of our, uh, teachings, of know, Islam, of Islam, our yeah. teachings of Islam. Yeah. In fact, there's a whole there's a whole prayer, you know, there's different prayers which uh, mm-hmm. which the Holy Quran has actually taught us as well, and we'll talk a little bit more um, in regards to this as well because this is a very you know this, this topic is very, very much important, but because we are going through such a difficult time, um, it's important that we you know that we talk about different things in regards to this, because there's different factors that goes into play as well, such as the weather mm-hmm. and how that has an effect on us as well. Let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us, Sophie Barrett, uh, who is the representative for AGK and their mission is to enable, empower, and support people to live well. As active, engaged, and influential members of their communities. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Sophie.
11: Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for having me.
8: Thank you so much for for joining us this morning. For the benefit of our listeners, uh, from the f- from the beginning, could you just describe your your work and some of the things that you guys are doing, your current projects uh, for for elderly citizens, especially for the winter.
11: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So hello everybody, I'm Sophie and I work in the health influencing team at AGK and I lead on our winter health work um, which involves an annual winter health campaign and this year it's a cross-organisation campaign um, called Spread the Warmth. So our main aim over the winter is just older people with all the information and advice that they need to navigate the winter months, which, as we know, can be very hard for a lot of older people. Hmm. Our work is focused around the key themes of keeping active and moving, eating well and staying hydrated, looking after mental health, looking after finances and making sure you're accessing all the benefits you're entitled to, um, staying warm, of course, and getting vaccinated. So we've got lots of different mm. support available, both nationally and with our local age UKs uh, that, that do some amazing winter work, such as have food parcels, emergency home assistant, winter hubs, lots of different things that can help.
8: Yeah. So the, yeah, you mentioned there's a whole uh, a list of different things that you guys look after as well, make sure that the especially the elders they they they're getting access to those things. There's well, one thing that you mentioned was was finance, and I know that that's you know that that can be um quite difficult for for especially elder citizens to keep on top of as well. I just want to talk a little bit about that what what challenges do the elder, the, uh, the elder citizens face especially when it comes to winter in in light of the recent events such as you know inflation and uh, and these sort of things when there's cuts being made um what how do you sort of uh, deal with that
11: yes so we definitely know that each year there are so many different benefits that go unclaimed and we would definitely recommend calling up our hk advice line to get some more information about the benefits that um any older person might be entitled to yeah. we know sadly that with the rising cost of living everything that's happening in the world a lot of older people are struggling um some of them are having to make really difficult choices between heating their homes or eating uh, this is mainly because a lot of older people can't increase their income or Mm. are on a very low income Mm. and because generally they feel the cold a lot more and, and they stay in their homes a lot more this has quite a big impact on on their energy bills and then finding the finances to be able to fund those um and we know that it's not just impacting older people themselves but also all of the organizations that support them whose own costs will increase so that's the voluntary sector organisations care homes and any other services that older people rely on hmm. so we just definitely encourage older people to to call up our advice line try and uh, gain all the access to the benefits that they are entitled to uh, or they can reach out to their local uk for further advice
8: right right when it comes to when it comes to you know the weather having an effect on uh, on a, uh, you know on, on the elderly as well is there an increased risk that the because of the weather, they might feel a bit more isolated?
11: Yes, definitely. So so we know loneliness and isolation happens all year round, but it's particularly pertinent in, in the winter months when older people might be more likely to stay home and won't want to go out less. So they might be a bit worried about falling over if the surfaces are slippy or icery or perhaps catching an illness um, from other people or perhaps they just don't have the funds that we were just discussing, to be able to travel somewhere, to meet up with others, uh, or to engage in certain social activities. We know that, in addition to loneliness, obviously, lower temperatures can have a huge impact on older person's health in general, because, uh, in generally, as we get older, we're less able to regulate our temperature. And so, frequent exposure to these cold temperatures can have a huge impact on older person's health uh, and increases the risk of stroke and heart attacks. And puts a lot of pressure on the heart and circulatory system. Also, a lot of older people are dealing with long-term conditions, which the symptoms of these can be harder in in the colder winter months. Uh, and it can also be harder to manage because, like we said, they're less likely to be engaging in in socialising, but also physical activity. So there's lots of things that can make the winter period a struggle for older people and definitely mm-hmm. the rising cost of living is not helping this because it's it's increasing their inability to go out and socialise. But the good thing is there are lots of ways we can still engage even if we don't want to meet up in person. Just a phone call can really help and just checking in on the older people in your life to see if there's anything they need, if mm-hmm. they're prepared for any any cold weather snaps and just providing some, some company is of, often the best way.
2: Yeah, um, and you've just touched upon... Um the next question that I was going to ask um, but in detail what do you think needs to be done to help the elderly citizens in this difficult time?
11: So I think in general we just need to care a lot more uh, at AGK we've got a lot of our own information and advice that can be accessed on our websites or our guides which can be downloaded or ordered, our advice line that I previously mentioned uh, which is open every day of the year, our telephone friendship services that we that we mm. offer and of course our local education support they offer. But As an individual person within the public, the best thing to do is to be checking in on the older people in your life, whether that's friends, neighbours, mm. or family, keeping in touch with them, either it's just a phone call, like I mentioned, or perhaps send a card, make mm. sure they've got everything they need, particularly food and medication, if somebody is worried about going out or if the weather gets a little bit colder, encouraging everybody just to look after their health. So, like I mentioned earlier about getting vaccinations eating well wrapping up warm making sure they know that help is out there by a local pharmacist or nhs 111 and of course their gps um, and then of course give out the useful numbers such as the agk advice line so that they can get in touch if they are worried about anything
10: um,
2: and how can our listeners um, maybe contact uh, and help and support this mission of yours
11: So the best thing to do and the best way to be helping us is to be looking after the older people in your life um, and giving out our useful numbers, as I mentioned, for our advice line, but also letting them know that there are telephone friendship services out there, our silver line, where if they are concerned about an older person and and that older person feels a little bit lonely or isolated, they can give us a call. There is help out there. And just to be looking out um, for the older people would be helping us.
2: Um, thank you very much, uh, Sophie Barrett. It was really uh, nice talking to you and you provided a lot of good information
8: for our listeners.
11: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thank you very much.
8: So let's, uh, you know, with that, let's uh, just swiftly move on to our next guest as well, um, Professor Professor Mike Tipton, who's, uh, who has worked at the University of Surrey and University of Portsmouth and he's published over 800 scientific papers, reports, chapters, abstracts, and books in his research areas as well. With that, peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the show.
0: Good morning, thank you for having me on.
8: Thank you so much for joining us. Um, how are the elderly citizens sort of more at risk during uh, winter especially?
0: Well, we know that um, they, we have excess winter death, so when it gets very cold outside, the uh, number of deaths increase. Hmm. And so for the o- Office of National Statistics, for example, said an uh, estimated twenty to 30,000 excess winter deaths. And the majority of them are in individuals over 70 to 75 years old. Um, right. So we know that the um, as temperature outside, Drops below about 15 degrees Celsius. There's a 1% per degree C fall. Uh, there's a 1% increase in the number of these excess winter deaths. Now they're not directly due to hypothermia. Most of them they're more indirectly due, so uh, due to hypothermia or cooling, and the uh, they they result in a combination of um, increased number of blood clot formation and also respiratory illness. So, um, and it's particularly the elderly at risk because they're more prone to form blood clots mm. uh, and they are more likely to have respiratory illnesses that um, are made worse by cold air.
8: Right. So, in regards to that, how, how would they sort of prepare then? Because some of your research looks into preparation and protection of those people who are going through the, you know, who are facing the environment and in the tough environments as well as the tough uh, seasons. What would yeah. you advise the elderly, especially those people who are taking care of them as well and those who are living in the north where it's a little bit more colder, uh, yeah. what would you advise them?
0: Well, um, the important thing is to, the the advice for people who are at risk, such as the elderly, is that they should try and maintain their temperature or indoor environment at um, no lower than 20 degrees Celsius. Um, oh. And they should avoid going out when it's cold because it doesn't take very much cold exposure to trigger these problems that result in, as I say, blood clot formations. If they have to go out, then they should make sure they're properly protected before they step out the door, not go walking down the road putting, you know, clothes on. So trying to maintain the indoor temperature at 20 degrees Celsius. Now, obviously that carries with it a financial burden. So sometimes you have to think about how you organize your house and have one room that maybe you keep warm Um, and maybe you sleep in that room as well. Hmm. The other important thing to uh, realize is that the problems associated with cold um, are compounded if you're dehydrated. So it's important to stay hydrated. So having people visit, um, having people provide drinks in a thermos flask so they're they're easily available. Hmm. Um, The other problem, of, of course, which I think we heard from your previous guest, was that if you're starting to ask people to stay indoors when it's very cold then it's really important to visit them because that's Mm -hmm. like lockdown you're back into lockdown and we know that that's not good for them so if you know if you have elderly relatives or you know elderly people who are friends visit them regularly in cold snaps try and encourage them to stay indoors try and encourage them to remain hydrated uh, and do periodic exercise indoors as well. Don't just sit still all the time.
2: Exactly. Um, yes, and um, would you say, as you're mentioning regarding um, them staying indoors and staying warm, would you say that warm, um, staying more warm or cold is more detrimental for these elderly?
0: Well, if you look at the statistics, more people die over the winter season mm. than die over the summer. We do see excess summer deaths and excess winter deaths um but more point more elderly people die in the winter than the summer so um i mean you don't want to get hot you don't want the you don't want to be in the situation where you're sweating and getting hot and becoming dehydrated through that route but just staying comfortably warm if um if your air temperature is about 20 degrees and you're wearing a reasonable amount of clothing and you've um. importantly, insulated the extremities because it's your hands and feet that make you feel uncomfortable. Mm. So if you've still got some blood flow, if you put your fingertips on your lips and your fingertips feel warm, um, then you've, you've got enough blood going to the extremities. But certainly you don't want to overheat, but by the same token, you don't want the blood to shut down to the skin because mm. that's the first part of the process that goes on to produce blood clots.
2: Right. Mm. So to check if uh, you are in a reasonable and good temperature you should touch your fingers on your lips to see if they are warm am i correct
0: yes yes absolutely if you've still got some blood going to your fingertips then your your fingertips will feel okay when you Mm. put them against your lips if Mm. they feel very cold then your extremities are not getting sufficient blood flow. You'll feel cold anyway because your hands and your feet Mm. are really important determinants of how comfortable you feel. Mm. So as long as you're just feeling comfortable, comfortably warm, not too hot, no cold extremities, um, and you're maintaining um, hydration, uh, then I think you're probably in the best situation. And if it's very cold outside, try to avoid going out, ask somebody to do your shopping for you, ask somebody to do your chores for you outside. Mm. Um, uh, and if you really have to go outside, then make sure you're properly wrapped up, head, scarf, um, you know, as, as much face covering as you can, gloves, etc. just to try and make sure that the cold doesn't get through to your skin mm. from uh, from the environment.
2: Yeah. Um, and you've also done research on the psychological responses to these uh, harsh environments. Um, what would you say to uh, should the elderly people or those taking care of these elderly people look out for in terms of well, their mental health? Yeah.
0: Yes. So, I mean, getting cold and staying cold for a long while is a really miserable experience. Um, we know that it makes people pretty... Uncomfortable. I mean, by the same token, being hot for a long while makes you irritable. So it's, that's one of the reasons, I mean, apart from all the health reasons that we've discussed, for trying to maintain a comfortable environment. Because in a comfortable environment, people are not distracted by the environment and they can get on with their lives. But also, if you start asking people, the elderly people, to stay indoors and you have a, 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 you know, a week-long cold snap, then you're asking them to live in isolation. And that's where it becomes really important to visit them. I mean, if you have two elderly relatives and it's possible even to move them into the same house at the time, so they have some company, um, it, it's, it's, you, know, you, are, you are advocating for their own health, that they go into a form of lockdown. And one of the things we learned from um, COVID was that mm. lockdown is bad for your mental health. So yeah. um, up the number of visits. Um, go round have and particularly go round and have warm drinks with them to keep them hydrated, yeah. and and make sure that um, you know their their room temperature is comfortable, around and no lower than about twenty degrees Celsius.
2: And what would you say um, to those that want to help these elderly people, but the the elderly people do not speak out um, regarding the mental health? What signs is there to look out for?
0: I think um, I think the best way of spotting somebody who is having a problem is if you if it's somebody you know. It's very difficult, I think. It's not my area of expertise, but if it's relatives going round and they know this individual and they see a change in their mentality, in their personality, if they become withdrawn, non-communicative, then these are all signs that you know they're they're, they're you know, suffering from having been isolated. But that's best picked up by friends and relatives than it would be from somebody who doesn't know the
2: person mm. Okay, um, thank you very much uh, Mike Tipton, it was very um, nice speaking to you, you did provide some very beneficial information for all of our listeners, I'm sure everyone will agree, um, thank you for joining us thank, today.
0: Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you very much
8: Bye 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 bye. So those are two guests uh, who spoke uh, you know, uh, quite eloquently about this particular topic and it's it's something which uh, the 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 youth organisation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community do as well. Yeah, um, they, they you know they go around to especially care homes, yeah. donating uh, different things to them. Especially when it comes to this particular season, um, they 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 might tend to be a bit more lonely as well mm. because they say if they're not getting that many mm. you know people visiting yeah. them and it's cold, people don't even want to go outside, and they become they get getting lonely and lonelier. And they have literally no one to communicate mm. with or to talk to, so the, this is a part of the youth organisation of the Ahmadiyya community. One of the things that they do is that they go to these uh, care homes specifically, give them you know you know a bag of chocolate or uh, box of chocolates, or some some presents or well, mm. some light hearted um, small gifts, yeah. yes, small gifts, and literally just just giving them. Uh, time to just yeah.
2: talk. The main main objective is to just go and just sit there and listen to them, speak yeah. to them, because that's what they're lacking that, the most. Yeah, that's yeah. what they want. Yeah, as that's all, what they it? want. Yeah, I'm sure, like everyone out there who have grand uh, um, grandparents or elderly, they do enjoy a good company. Yeah, and they want yeah. to relate the stories that they have experienced in their life. Exactly. Exactly. So exactly. they do enjoy that because they feel appreciated. Yeah, right. They
8: feel appreciated, and they, and they feel as if you know they they honoured because they, yeah, they are, they, someone is listening to them. Yeah, exactly. It's and all the
2: experience that they've is, had in this life. Yeah, they're able to share.
8: Exactly. Mm. This is why this is why it's a very it's very important, isn't it, that we that we take care of our elders. Mm. They have so much wisdom. They have they've gone through so much in life mm. that uh, if we you know if we listen to them and benefit mm. from you know their experiences. Um, yeah, and if we take heed mm. then you know some of the problems that we are facing yeah. today
2: or, or we will face in our future or, or life. we will face, yeah. we might already have, uh, have the solution yeah, for yeah, forever because, because we've listened to th- that's why I think the Quran also mentions Kunu ma mm. that you should be with the truthful and yeah. stay in the company of those that are truthful yeah. and these elderly they have been through a lot and they have had their own experiences if we listen to them sit with them we will be able to sort our life
8: out as well yeah, in the future yeah, yeah you know another thing which the uh which the community has actually taken initiative is that they have created warm rooms in uh in in mosques and different places as well and that basically is because because of yeah, the current climate because of the you know the financial burdens because of the energy bills and all of this mm. people are not able to they're having to pick and choose isn't it mm. Should we turn the heating on, yeah. or should we should we just leave it, or should we just turn it on tomorrow? Should we turn it on for just just mm. an hour, or just mm. for a little bit? Mm. So they ha- they're literally having to think if they should yeah. turn the heating on or mm. not, mm. or you know, or different you know other energy bills as well. So for them, it's it, because it's it's a financial burden and it's difficult because of all of the costs and mm. everything. This is why the the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has taken this initiative that you know there there are warm rooms in the in, in the mosques and they can mm. come here and uh, they can you know there's uh, some light snacks come there and talk to talk, talk to other people as well because there's there will be other people mm. coming to coming to the mosque for this purpose just to stay warm and uh, it's a very good initiative it's it's, it's it's an initiative which the community has taken and uh, you know those people who are elderly they can benefit uh, from that as well um this is, you know, it's just another way to, to help the elderly. Mm-hmm. Now, His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, May Allah be his helper, also spoke about, uh, spoke, about, spoke about how we can care for the elderly people in our daily life. Right? So there's an audio, let's listen to that right
5: now.
3: Hazul, my question is, how can we care for elderly people in our daily life?
5: How can we care for elderly people in our daily life? You see, we should look after them. Those who are your immediate relatives, your grandparents, even your uncles, your father's uncles, your mother's uncles, or their elder brother and sisters, you should, if they need your help, you should help them. And uh, if you have a chance to help and serve those elderly people, if some person your grandparents any of your grandparents or both of them are living with you you should try to help them serve them sit with them and listen to them because at the age this age because your parents are very busy your mother will be busy at home doing your uh, household work and your father will be busy outside and they will come back home they are tired or even after doing the the house work your mother also will be tired so you can after coming from school after doing your homework and all these things you should give some time to your parents listen to them speak to them so in this way you can emotionally help them and they will be happy they will pray they will pray for you the, you need the prayers of your your parents and grandparents so in this way you will also get the prayers and that will also help you to get success in your life right? yes yeah? So, okay now yes. alaykum Jazakum so that was
8: a, a young boy asked His Holiness in regards to this and what a beautiful answer His Holiness gave as well um th- you know this is this is because it's the teachings of Islam, isn't it? It's right. the teachings of Islam to take care of our elders, especially our parents. And uh, like I mentioned before that there's a very there's a specific prayer that Allah the Almighty has taught us in the Holy Quran that Rabbir Hamhuma Kama that oh my Lord, have mercy on them as they, you know, nourished me and had mercy on me in my childhood as well. Yeah. And this is, you know, giving like kindred or treating other people like like your family members is actually a very lofty status in Islam as well. Mm. So this is um, part and parcel of our, not just our religion, but it has become part and parcel of our culture as well. Mm. Of, uh, you know, of uh, the way that we have been brought up. And if we continue these good things and teach them to the future generation as well, mm. that is when, you know, th- that is when they'll benefit as well. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about living your life. It's about mm teaching and yeah. spreading it to the yeah. next generation as well isn't it Certainly. all of these all of these good things as well so it has been quite a a jam-packed show isn't it it's mm. been quite a jam-packed show with obviously very interesting topics that we spoke about the Palestine and uh, and, and the Israel conflict and the, the war that's happening that's an ongoing topic as is this uh, this topic as well so maybe sometime in the future we will talk about or come back to these topics and uh, speak speak a little bit more in regards to this as well. But until then, Zagal, thank you to all the guests who took time out and spoke to us. Our producer Hania Hania Na, uh, Naima Chaudhry, and of course the researchers as well, uh, Hanan Ashraf, Sophia Shinwari, Malika Kamar, Zainab Khan, Mehraj Kashfa. Thank you for Zagal to to their effort. Of course, the technical department, Zagala, and thank you to him. Haleem, Abdul Haleem, it's uh, always a pleasure to to, to present with uh, with yourself. But until next time, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, peace be upon you.